one of my all-time favorite songs right there. Because you see, that can cure a lot of ills. Did you know that? By just praising the Lord. He inhabits our praise. He wants us to praise Him. The good times and the bad times. Praise Him. Praise Him and then keep praising Him. Okay? God's Word tells us that. Uh, we'll be in James today if you want to turn there. I don't know if you noticed, but uh, during our music service, number one, thanks, Trish, uh, for the selection of songs. Uh, couldn't get any better than that right there. We had a fourth pip up here. We had a, a, an extra singer today. Uh, so glad that she wants to do that. Uh, if any else want to become part of a pip group uh, and sing up here, boy, we'd love to have you. Love to have you. We've got three extra mics. Okay, so maybe I'll need to take one. I don't know. I don't know. Tough crowd we got here today. Tough crowd. All right. All right. Well, I'm fixing to step on your toes, and how's that, okay? <laughs> oh, goodness. God is good. You betcha. We'll be in James 1 if you want to turn there. The title of the message. Don't waste the trial. Don't waste the trial. Okay? What in the world does that mean? Well, I'm fixing to tell you here in just a minute. Don't waste the trial. What do you do when life throws you a curveball? What do you do when the doctor sets you down and says, you got cancer? What do you do when you have a phone call that says you've got a parent that just passed? Or a loved one that just passed? What do you do when the boss calls you in there and says, we no longer need your services? Okay? Don't, don't need you anymore. What do you do when a child chooses the wrong path in life? Goes a different direction than what you wanted him to. What do you do about that? What do you do when the rivers of life seem to want to just keep rising on you? And gets closer and closer to you. And the waters just keep rising. And, and what are we going to do about that? How are you going to handle that, Christian? Well, I don't know. We'll see. We've seen the bumper sticker that says, When life gives you lemons, do what? Make lemonade. Yeah, you've seen it too. Easier said than done, though. Okay? Easier said than done. How do we turn defeat into victory? How do we turn trial into triumph? How do we move from a victim to a victor? How do we move from fear to faith? We're going to look at that today. For the Christian, we have that ability to do that through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When it seems that life is wanting to overflow us as a believer, we have God's promises and God's word that says, I am with you. You don't have to fear life. You don't have to fear circumstances of life. We are part of the family of God. We've been chosen. We've been redeemed. We've been blessed. We've been sealed. 
we've been forgiven. And because of that, and we accepted Christ as our Savior, we have this unspeakable power as we depend upon Him to get us through the dark times of life. For the unbeliever, I don't know what to tell you. I have no word for you today when life is difficult. Because, see, for the Christian, we depend solely on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you've never accepted Him as Lord and Savior, you don't have that dependence. You can't depend on Him. I don't know what to tell you, but you don't have any hope without a Savior. So today we're going to look at that. How do we turn trial into triumph? How do we snatch victory from the jaws of defeat, if you would, okay? We're going to look at four things today. And, and I hope this will penetrate your heart. I hope that when life is turned upside down for you, that these four essential elements will just ooze from your, from your body, ooze from your faith. Because if, if you're not in a test now, you will be in a test one of these days, okay? As believers, we, we are told that, okay? So let's look at that today. Like I said, we'll be in the first chapter of James there, and let's see what, what James has to say about trials, if you would. The first topic is consider it or count it to have a joyful attitude, have a joyful attitude when life turns dark. Well, how can we do that? Well, let's read uh, verse 2. James is writing, he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, and brethren as other believers, when you encounter various trials. Consider it all joy. Is he saying, boy, you just, you're supposed to really like what's going on in your life? Are you supposed to just really like this? No. But he says you can have joy through this, you can have a joyful attitude no matter what road you're on, no matter where God has taken you. He says you can have a joyful attitude because, you see, God tells us to expect trials. And he wants us to expect that trials will be coming. If you think the Christian life is just going to be hunky-dory and smooth and not, not anything going on in your life that's going to cause you any, any pain, uh, I hate to tell you this, but you've got a, a rude awakening coming. I know there's preachers out there that say if you join, the, if you become a Christian, then life is good. If you just give enough money, life will be even better. God will bless you. And that is, that is so opposed to what God's Word says. Jesus tells us in John 16, 33, in this world, He says, you will have tribulation. Believer, you will have tribulation. Paul says in Acts 14, 22, we must through many tribulations enter into the kingdom of God. There are going to be times when tribulation is, comes and trials comes and those kind of struggles come. And James is saying, just expect it. It's coming. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. You know, sometimes those things happen because we're human. Did you know that? We have trials because we're human. We, get, we have sickness that comes in. We have accidents. We have disappointments. And, and, and those struggles and those trials come basically. We live in a fallen world and we are human. And we have to deal with those kinds of things just because we're human. We also will have trials because we are Christian, because we've been born again. Because, you see, the world opposes us. 
The world does not like what we do. The world does not like that we serve a risen Savior. And they are in opposition to us. All over the world, Christians are being persecuted today. Maybe you've dealt with it at work. People say things or talk behind your back or mock you or say just anything. And and, in a sense, that's under persecution. In a sense, that is under, you are under trial. Okay? And how are we going to do with 1 Peter 4.2 tells us this way, uh, to have this joyful ad. He said, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing may be happening to you. Don't be surprised when, when things happen in your life that he says a fiery ordeal. Those trials of life that come, don't be surprised, it's coming. Just expect it. Because you see, Satan himself is against you and I. Satan has said, I am come to steal, kill, and destroy you. If you think it's any different, if you want to saddle up to him and think, well, if, I, if I'm just nice, and if I just don't say anything about him, shh, he's going to leave me alone. No. He has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He is, in, he is your enemy no matter what you ever think. He is your enemy. The world opposes you. The world doesn't like you because you have given your heart and life to Christ. Life will be a battle, I'm just telling you. It can be. But life also can be a victory through these battles, okay? We read, count it all joy, my brethren. I, I thought of the Apostle Paul as he dealt with things in his life. Apostle Paul, okay? We know Apostle Paul, don't we? I mean, he was, he was a guy that was, his mission in life was to round up as many Christians as he could and have them put to death. And then one day on that Damascus road, something happened to him. God got a hold of his life and changed him from the inside out. Took that heart that was a heart of stone and gave, it a, gave him a heart of life. And when he became a Christian, he received a new purpose in life. He received a new passion in life, a new priority in life, and he received a new plan in his life. He was a completely changed person. And the things that were important to him before that Damascus road, he would say, they're nothing but garbage now. I don't want to do anything that affects what it used to be. I am a new person. How could he do that? Because he began to put his eyes and his heart and his motivation on eternal things, not on these temporary things. And Paul had a life, didn't he? Oh, my goodness. Once he got saved on that Damascus road, man, everything was just hunky-dory from here on out, wasn't it? Man, he just had clear sailing. Well, no, I started reading the Second Corinthians. No, he didn't have clear sailing. Five times it says 39 lashes that went to his back and his front. Five times he did, they did that to him. Three times the Bible says he was beaten with rods. One time they stoned him to death. Hit him with a whole bunch of rocks, and many believe that he died at that point and came back to life. Three times he was shipwrecked. Man, that's not a good day. That's not a good month. He lists eight different kinds of dangers that he experienced over his life. I mean, he had it rough. But the Bible says he had this joyful attitude when all that stuff came into his life. I mean, we get upset when, when we have a hangnail or we cut our finger. 
I mean, we're talking this guy's life was, was more beyond anything painful that we could ever think of. And yet he had this joyful attitude. And where did that joyful attitude come from? It came from this idea that he, he served a risen Savior. And he said, you know, what's important to me now is my eternal heavenly things, if you would. And this old temporal stuff down here doesn't mean a thing. That's how he had a joyful attitude. He had Christ in his heart. And things that were up there were more important than the things down here. Because the things down here are going to rust, they're going to rot, and they're going to fade away. And Paul would say, that's just that's, this garbage to me. The impo- most important plan I have, the most important priority I have, the most important purpose I have is for eternal things. I urge you to get into that mindset that the things of God, the things of heaven are more important than this old earth. He wanted to move past the comforts of this life to the eternal rewards in his heavenly life. Now think about that. And I hope you get that concept. He moved from the comforts of this life five times. And yet he had this joyful attitude because it wasn't all about now. It wasn't all about, it was about God and and his Savior and later on down the road when God calls him home. That's how he could have a joyful attitude. I thought of Jesus. I thought of Jesus. Oh, my goodness. We talked about him last week. Garden of Gethsemane, what he went through in the Garden of Gethsemane. Three times he prayed, God, surely there's another way to do this. And people say, well, God didn't answer him, but God answered him. God just told him no. And Jesus said, okay, that's your will. I'll do it. And he survived the nails. And he survived the, the, the crown of thorns. He, he survived the spear. He survived being sinned. He, he survived being forsaken by his father. And yet the Bible tells us he had joy all the way through that. I mean, I'm not sure I could have joy. Just wearing that crown would be hard enough. But it says he had joy all the way through. Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy set before him. He endured the cross, despised the shame, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. I don't know about you, but that's true joy. Because what was happening here did not compare to what his reward was going to be and what his job was. Jesus had joy even though his life was very difficult for those hours at Calvary. Did you know we can have that same kind of joy in our own life? We can have that same kind of joy even though the world seems to be collapsing around us. How do we do that? What do you value the most in your life? What is the important things of your life will determine how you live. Did you know that? What's important to you? What's the biggies in your life are the things that you will end up pursuing? You see, if you pursue comfort and not Christian character, the trials of life will overwhelm you. When you pursue the physical or the material things of life and not the spiritual things of life, there is no way you'll ever have joy when your trial comes. Did you know that? When your testing comes because your values are somewhere else. If if you believe what's the most important thing in your life is present right now, 
and not spiritual, guess what? You'll become bitter and you'll never be better because your value system, your thought process, the things that are important, your purpose, your plan, your priority, and your passion. If it's all about here, the trials of life come, they're going to overflow you, and the waters of those trials will take you to the bottom of the pool. I'm just promising you. Where is your values? If you've been born again, you have a change in priority and passion and plan and purpose. I urge you to live accordingly that way. I like what Job said. You remember Job. <laughs> Job, Job had, a, had, he had a bad day. I mean, he had a real bad day. I mean, God allowed Satan to test Job. Took away his family. Took away his possessions. Took away his job. Gave him sores all over his body. And yet he writes in the 23rd chapter of Job, he says this. But he, who is God, knoweth the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. What an attitude. God knows what's going on in my life, Job would say. And once he's done testing me, once he's done doing what he's going to do or allow it to happen in my life, then I know when I get to the other side of this test, it will be as if it is gold. It will be something precious for me. Can we have joy amongst the trials and the testing and the yuck of life? You sure can. You can have a joyful attitude when you keep your mind and your hearts up and not down, when heavenly things are more important than earthly things, you've been born again. You can have joy amidst the struggles of life. If you want that. If you want that. Because some of us don't want that. Sometimes we don't want that. We, we want to feel sorry for ourselves. We want to tell everybody what's going on in our life. And no, we have a risen Savior that lives within us. We have God himself, the creator of the universe, the greatest physician of all physicians, the one who controls the wind and the sea and the waters, and you name it, he's got it, living within inside of you through the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but you can't, you can't buy that power at Atwoods. You can't get that at Walmart. You can only get it because you accept his son as Lord and Savior. The second thing I want you to look at is to have an understanding mind. Verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Did you know faith is always tested? Your faith will always be tested. An untested faith is no faith at all. Did you know that? An untested faith is not a faith at all. God's going to test your faith to see is it genuine or not. God tested Abraham, did he not? Man, that was a huge test. Take your son up here, son, and we're just going to sacrifice him, will you? I want to know if you really believe in what, who I am. He passed the test, didn't he? Yep, God's always going to test you to see is your faith real? Is your faith genuine? Do you really 
believe what you say you believe. Your faith will be tested. A beautiful thing about having a tested faith, Hebrews 12 tells us that if you're being tested, it is a perfect picture of you being saved. Hebrews 12. Because it says God tests those who are his children to see if faith is true. And if you are in a test now or you're in a test later or you're coming out of a test, whatever that might be, I'm here to tell you, he's doing it and he's checking to see is your faith real? Is your faith a genuine faith? God wants to know. Second thing that we see here besides your faith will be tested, your faith works. Your testing will work for you and not against you. Did you hear that? Testing will work for you and not against you. Well, God must be mad at me because I'm going through this. No, he's not mad at you. He's going to do something good and not something bad because of what you're going through. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, I love what it says here. Paul is writing, and he says, For momentarily this light affliction... When Paul looked at what he was going through in his life, all the beatings and the shipwreck and the stoning and all the dangers, and he looked at that and he looks through the eyes through, through God and not himself, and he goes, man, everything I've gone through, it's just light affliction. <laughs> man, I'm thinking, whew, I'd hate to see heavy affliction. He says, just for momentarily, it is light affliction. And he said, it's producing for us, it's producing for him, it's producing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Your suffering here, your struggles here is, will, is and will produce something far greater than you could ever think about. You see, what you're going through, he is working it for your good and not for your bad. Romans 8, 28, we know what that says. I've said it 100,000 times. And we know God causes all things to work together. All things. Now, I got to thinking about all. That could be cancer. That could be a loss of a job. That could be a, a loss of a loved one. It could be a financial struggle. It could be a child going bad. You just name it. You just name whatever struggle that is. And all that falls underneath this one word. And that one word is all. Okay? All. No matter what it is, all. And just start listing them, one to 8,000 if you wanted to. And it says, and we know God causes all things to work together for good. What you're going through, your struggle right now, God says, I'm going to make something good out of something that appears to be very bad. You're testing is for your good and not for your bad. Is that easy to get? Uh, I don't know. But I hope you remember it. I hope you remember it. Another point on testing. Trials will help to mature us in the faith. Trials will help to mature us in the faith. God wants you to be patient. God wants you to persevere. God wants you to have Christian character. God wants you to keep going when it doesn't seem like you want to keep going. 
He wants, he wants that into you. He wants to put that into you. And you can't put that into you by reading a book. You can't put it in there by listening to a sermon. You can't put it in there by, by saying a prayer. The only way that you can get this patience and this perseverance and this Christian character is through testing. Man, I wish I, wish I could just, man, I wish you'd just skip that part. I wish I could just read about it and go, okay, I got it. I got it, God. Or maybe I'll just pray that, God. I, I got it. No. The only way God is going to put that into your life is through test. And, and he prays that you will come out on the other side. You see, when we, when we deal with struggles, we deal with problems and those kinds of things, all he's trying to do for you is to mold you into a person that looks like his son. Did you know that? I mean, that's his objective is to mold you and to shape you into somebody that looks and speaks and acts and reacts just like his son. I mean, why else would he do it? And when he does that to us, to make us more Christ-like, if you would, is that for our glory or is that for his glory? That is for his glory. Just like Job, when he moves from the testing onto past the testing and for this right here, and people look at Job and say, wow, how can you be like that? How can you, how can you still love the Lord? It's not for Job. It's that God would get the glory because of what he was doing in Job's life. In Jeremiah 29, 11, I like this verse too. He says, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans not to harm you. Plans for a plans not plans for a future and not a and I hope plans not to ruin you but to make you better. Jeremiah said, "Man, I know what God's doing. Number one, God has a plan in your life and my life." He said, "He's not out to get me. He's not out to hurt me. He's not going to do anything like that. It might be a very unpleasant situation right now, but it doesn't mean God's mad at you." It means God is going to work this into your life. And he says, I will give you a future and a hope. I want you to look past right now the testing. He said, I'm going to give you a future and a hope out there as opposed to what's happening right here, he would say. You know, we'll be tested. We can have a joyful attitude. We can understand that testing is, is good for us, if you would. Because God's in control of that, and he knows what's happening. The third thing I want us to see in verse 4, in order to overcome the, the stresses and the trials of life, is we must have a surrendered will. We've got to have a surrendered will. God wants to work all this in us. He wants to build our character. He wants to make us more Christ-like. But he won't do it. Unless you're, you're wanting to cooperate. <laughs> he won't do it. If you're not willing to cooperate, if you're not willing to let him do what he wants to do in your life, he will not force you to handle what he wants you to handle. You must 
be committed. You must be cooperative of what God wants you to do. And there's so many folks that don't want that. You know, something bad happens in their life and they get mad and stomp and cuss and go off down the road and they have nothing. They don't even think about God. But I'm here to tell you God has a will for your life. And he wants your cooperation to do this will. And I got to thinking about how can I illustrate that? Well, I mean, uh, why don't you just why don't we just see what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane? See, see, I just said we got to have a surrender real will in order to see what God wants to do in our lives. Jesus in the Garden, what did He do? I just told you, He prays three times, different plan. God, there's something different, and each time you know what He said, Father, not my will, but Your will. When darkness comes into your life, not my will, Father, but your will, Father. You see, God wants to grow us spiritually. He wants us to be mature believers. Did you know that? I got to think about that. We, that little granddaughter of mine, Kimber. It is such a joy to watch her grow, watch her learn, watch her change, watch her develop. You know, we would love for her just to stay like this, but we know she won't. And really, we don't want her to change. We, don't, we want her to grow. We want her to mature. We want her to keep blossoming, if you would. We want that. And God is the very same way. Did you know that? He wants you. He wants me to keep growing. He wants us to keep maturing. He wants us to keep developing our character. He wants us to move us from being a babe in the Word to being a mature person in His Word. He wants that for us. And if we don't do that, if we don't mature, if we don't grow up in essence and mature in the faith, just like if Kimber stayed one and a half, what a tragedy that would be. In the same way with the believer, God wants us to grow. What a tragedy it would be to spend 40, 50, 60 years coming to church, reading the Word, and yet we just are just babes in the Word. He wants us to take us to a different level. And that different level is being more like His Son, Jesus Christ. He has to pour into us before He can work through us. Okay? God's got to pour into you before He can ever use you. Are you willing to allow Him to pour into you what he wants you to know, and then he can use you. You see, when he wanted to use Abraham a long time ago, God poured into Abraham over 25 years, okay, of what he wanted Abraham to know before God could ever use Abraham. God poured 13 years into Joseph. And you know, if you know anything about Joseph, man, he had, a, he had a struggle. I mean, he had it hard. For 13 years, trial and test and struggle and suffering and lied about. And, but all the time, God was pouring into him what I, he wanted Joseph to have. And then after 13 years, Joseph became God's man and God could use him because of that. He put Moses in the desert 40 years. 40 years. That's almost as long as I've been alive. 40 years. Think about it. 
before he would give him another 40 years of service, pouring into him for 40 years in the desert so that one day he could be, Moses could be used for what God wanted him to be used for. The disciples, three years, Jesus poured into those guys, poured into them, poured into them. And it took, they never did really get it, at least while Jesus was here. But after that, what happened to those disciples? God used them tremendously over the face of the earth, spreading the gospel. It took, it took God 64 years to get this guy to be able to stand up here and deliver a message. 64 years. He, he was a hard-headed guy, I think. But God just stayed with him. God stayed with me. And it took him that long. I mean, Abraham just 25, this great father of Israel. It took me 64 I don't know, that says something about me, how hard and slow and hard-headed I must be. But you see, God's pouring into people. He wants to pour into you so that he can work through you. You know, the Christian life is just not about sitting in church and going, hey, good job, preach. It's about living the life. It's about walking the walk. It's talking the talk. It's telling other people that I have the greatest history of stories in the history of stories. And that is, I know the risen Savior who has saved me for eternity. See, that's what he wants. That's what he wants. If you can have a surrendered will when life turns upside down, when that curveball is being thrown at you, man, take it to the Lord. Don't argue with him. Because <laughs> you're not going to win that argument. Just surrender your will. Accept his will willingly. Obey his will obediently. And you can have joy unspeakable when your will is surrendered to whatever he wants to do in your life. You can have joy knowing that what he is in control of your life as you surrender your life to him. The last thing I want you to, to catch today, and it maybe is the most important point, maybe. In verse 5, it says this. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and he will give it to you. We are to ask during the dark times of life with a believing heart. A believing heart. When you're going through a difficult time in your life, what do you what do you pray for? Well, I, you know, Don, I got man, I I I, I got to pray for healing. I want healing. Yeah, okay, nothing wrong with that. You know, I, I want deliverance from whatever I'm being dealt with right now. Whatever I'm going through, I want deliverance. I, I, God, you know, but I, I wish people would pray for some grace. I need, I need grace here. Nothing wrong with that. I need, I need strength to get me through the waters as they're rising up in my life. I need some strength there. Nothing wrong with that. I've prayed for those kind of things. I've prayed for you for those kind of things. Nothing absolutely wrong with that. But there's one thing that we're missing on that. And if you don't get anything else in this message, this is what I want you to catch. And I want to illustrate it with a story. Sweet, sweet, sweet lady older lady was going through some trials in her life, some struggles in her life. She had just 
she just had a stroke. Her husband was blind. They had to run him to the hospital, to the ER one day because it looked like his time was about up. I mean, she had struggles. I mean, she had darkness in her life. And, 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 but she, came, she kept going to church. She just kept coming. Despite her difficulties, she kept coming. The Sunday, the, the preacher went up to her and said, you know, you know, hon, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you. And she said, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much. But I want to know what you've been praying uh, for me about. What, what are you praying for? And he says, you know, I've been praying that God will give you help, and he'll give you strength through this and endurance, and, and that, man, you'll just be able to deal with whatever is coming your way. She said, you know, man, I appreciate that. I really do. Man, that is so, so nice that you would do that. But, he said, but she said, you know, there's one other thing I want you to pray for, and this is the point I want you to catch on this deal. He said, I want you to pray that I will have the wisdom to not waste the trial that I'm in. I want to have wisdom not to waste the trial I'm in. What is she saying? She is saying that, God, you are in control of this. You are in control. And, and none of this stuff I'm dealing with has caught you by surprise. And, and, and I know that, that, that God, that, that you want to mold and shape me into a person that looks just like your son. I, I know this. And if, and if I choose to be bitter and mad and upset about the circumstances of my life, I'm going to waste whatever you want to teach me during this circumstance. And that would be the worst sin of all for her, was to waste a trial, a struggle, a difficulty that God has put you through or allowed you to put you through in order to mold you and shape you. I don't want to waste that trial. That, my friends, is what a mature spiritual person does when the rivers of life start coming up over your head. I don't want to waste this trial. You see, she had joy during her rough circumstances because her mindset was up here. And not down here. Sure, she didn't like what was going down here. None of us do. But she had joy because her eyes were up here, not down here. She understood in her life, as God has probably dealt with her many times, that the things that she was going through were working for her good and not her bad. That God's not mad at her. God's just shaping her. And she understood that through the, through the years of time, as she walked with the Lord and talked with the Lord, God just, just showed her that. I'm not against you. What's happening is for good, and I'll make it good if you'll just see me. You know, she was willing to surrender her will for God's will. You see, she knew what was good for her, but you know what? She knew and wanted God's best for her during this difficult time in her life. 
yeah, this would be good. I would like for this to happen. But God, (laughs) I know that you're in control. And God, I want your best, not my good. There's a difference in it as we walk through the struggles of life. And then she was willing to say, God, whatever I'm going through, I want you to keep teaching me. (laughs) What you going to teach me, God? God, I don't want to miss what you're trying to teach me here. I don't want to miss that you're maybe knocking something off of this shoulder that needs to be knocked off. That, that, that you need to shape me a little bit better because there's something in my life that doesn't look like your son, Jesus Christ. He said, I, I want you to keep molding me and getting rid of that stuff, those sharp edges of my own personal fleshly desires and just make me just look like your son, Jesus. You and I can have that same kind of joy if you understand that God's working for your good and not for your bad. That he's going to take the things that are going on in your life that fall under the word all and he's going to make good out of that. Are you willing to surrender your will to his and get his best instead of just your good? And when as you're going through that trial of life, that darkness of life, do you go, what's up God? I don't like this God. Or are you going to go, God, I don't want to waste what you're, go- what you're putting me through. I don't want to waste it because I want to grow into a more of a spiritual, mature kind of a person that looks like your son, Jesus. Those are our choices. Those are our options. I would urge you today when life turns upside down, when that guy throws that curveball to you, and I had to quit baseball because I couldn't hit the curveball. When that happens, where do you go? You take it to the Lord. You put your eyes on the Lord. You surrender your will and say, God, what you trying to teach me today, God? And when that happens, you won't waste the trial. But the trial will become as if it is gold to you, like Job would say. Because it's make you better and better and better. Tricia, as we look at our invitation time, My hope and prayer that this helps, okay? That this will be a help to you. Because you will, if you've been born again, you will have a trial. You'll either move, be in one now, moving through one now, or you got one that's coming. Not to, not to scare you, that's just the way it is. Because God will use those kinds of things in your life to mold you and to shape you into the kind of person He wants you to be, Okay? As we begin invitation time, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I don't know how God's spoken to you today, but I'm going to ask you to do business with holy God. Is it a trial? Is it a temptation? Is it a struggle? You know what to do. Y'all pray. If you need Jesus... Come get him right now. If you want to join the church, come on right now. Do business with Holy God.